Hi, and welcome to CSM Toolbox. This week's episode features Ekaterina Howard. Ekaterina helps B2B SaaS startup founders and growth marketers get more traction with research-driven conversion copy without slowing down their growth initiatives. Ekaterina has worked with clients on website copy, paid traffic funnels, and copy optimization projects, not to mention emails. She'll be telling us more about it and her journey next. Join me and let's open that toolbox. If you segment your new users, then you can customize your onboarding sequence and make your new users feel like you understand their challenges that are specific to their role. And then you will get users that are more excited about interacting with you. Katerina, how are you? It's really nice to have you here joining us today. Hello, I'm doing well, thank you. Very excited to be here. Maybe we can uh, just get things started applying best practices when it comes to email communication from the perspective of a customer success manager or anyone that is really in contact with customers. So for our listeners, how would you describe copywriting? All right, so... Copywriting to me is all about finding messages that resonate and help you or your brand stand out, mm -hmm. especially for emails. Everyone's <laughs> inboxes are so full. It is really hard to stand out. Absolutely. And I do like to incorporate other tools when possible. But I think the fact that we might not have that much knowledge around etiquette even or, or just simply best practices really. And that's something that we do use with customers so much. And, and I think to your point, definitely from a vendor perspective, we are not the only one. Like I'm sure you get a lot of emails. I get a lot of emails. I sign up to newsletters. So obviously everyone is trying to fight for your attention, for the customer's attention. So, yeah, I think we have to be very mindful and thoughtful on how to send, how we send uh, those email communications. Yes, absolutely. And also think that you mentioned best practices. I also think there's this fine hmm. balance between following best practices and finding a way to be memorable. Yeah, no, absolutely. And even I was thinking as well, obviously uh, doing research and I was very impressed and wanting to know a, a bit more from you and your insight in terms of copywriting. So there was this webinar now a few weeks back and uh, probably last month even where I was thinking of from customer success, how we scheduled business reviews, customer meetings, asking for product feedback, you name it, like anything that we might think of asking of a customer. So I was wondering if uh, from this webinar that you did, I think there was a, a line that you had that once you get your customers to book a call, what steps, like uh, asking this to the audience, like what steps should we take for them, for the customer to actually turn up either to your meeting, to your webinar, etc. So when it comes to email copy, what steps will you recommend us to take to to encourage customers to turn up to either our meeting, our webinar, etc. Sure. This is going to be a bit of a rant because I tend to get <laughs> a okay. lot of emails that are, you know, the, the very excited subject lines like, hey, mm. we're going to have this thing. <laughs> 
So I would invite anyone who's trying to get customers to show up for something to try and shift this approach away from, we have this awesome thing happening towards mm -hmm. what's in it for the customer. Mm -hmm. right? Because with inboxes being so full and with time being mm -hmm. so scarce, I need to be motivated to first open the email and second, mm -hmm. to act on the email and third, to show up once it's time to be there. So knowing, well, first making this experience very easy, not making your customers jump through like five forms to get to the final mm -hmm. destination helps. And also focusing on the reasons it's worth their time in your communications. I think those are two biggest things. Yeah. And even as well, I'm just making a note about even just forms. I think probably that can be another separate conversation about how to do it properly. And, and I think, as you said, like, well, first opening that email and well, first of all, what's in it for the customer opening, acting, and then obviously showing up if it's to a webinar or to a meeting. I don't know if it can be called a principle, but the what's in it for me, what's in it for the customer. I think we all generalize and say that we, in this case, in customer success, we do try to put that um, top of mind that we're actually looking after what the customer is going to find valuable, for sure. Yes, of course. And something you mentioned is also the follow-ups. So especially for events that are out in the future, you need to have those little reminders popping up in their inbox and make them human, personable, and not feel like too much work ultimately. Yeah. And do you think there is still that, in terms of that personalization, do you think there is still that balance between that personalization? Depends on what type of company or organization, the size, and there are many different factors, but do you think there's still that, is there a balance or have, are, are there any maybe brands out there or companies out there that you can say, well, this brand in particular has actually has that balance. They are doing it well. Is there anyone that might stand out? I can't think of anyone other than active campaign offhand. I think that there is there's a lot of confusion about what personalization means to different people. Mm -hmm. Or rather, it's very mm -hmm. vague, so it means different things to different people. So one thing is making sure that your communications are relevant to your audiences. So this is the job of segmentation tools and tagging people mm -hmm. and knowing what it is that they are looking for. And then there's the not sounding too corporate part. Mm -hmm. So making interactions feel more human. For example, Zoom is definitely a part of everyone's or almost everyone's workday at this point. But mm -hmm. their emails and their communications do not feel personal. They feel very corporate and automated. So if Zoom was asking me for feedback, I'd probably just not respond to their request. And thinking about tools like that, like for Loom, I would make the effort <laughs> just because they sound a little more, a little less robotic. If you, I totally agree. And, and I, I was thinking about the onboarding experience and maybe obviously that <laughs> what would be a topic for perhaps another day, but it's also how 
we as users, as you said, like Loom, definitely I, I do use Loom and, and for sure I, I will be among those people making that effort to, to reply back, I think, as well, type form. And maybe that's companies that the first experience when they are first contacting Ekaterina, like they make it very smooth experience it, if it's either the UI, the UX, whatever it is, but they make it relatable even and as you said not that corporate so it is a different feel a different experience yes and likewise if you do have an onboarding email sequence if you're not segmenting your mm -hmm. users before you send it out it is just going to be more generic by definition if you segment your new users then you can customize your onboarding sequence and make your new users feel like you understand their challenges that are specific to their role and then you will get users that are more excited about interacting with you. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and as I mentioned earlier that I have used outreach and perhaps there aren't that many people in customer success, the customer success practice that necessarily look at open rates or emails that how many clicks that I get in a particular link that is not knowledge that again, perhaps someone as a customer success manager we will need to know, but obviously if I'm thinking that at startup, sometimes people get to wear many hats. <laughs> so that this might be something that someone needs to learn or someone will learn by doing, not necessarily by taking a course or anything like that. So yeah, I think what you mentioned about that uh, onboarding experience, obviously it's quite relevant. I'm, I found uh, from your profile that and it was really cool to read that one of your superpowers is translating research into a list of optimization opportunities and uncovering hidden voice of the customer nuggets. So I think there were a lot of terms there that will resonate with the audience of customer success folks. So how could we identify those nuggets in terms of voice of the customer? All right. So two quick and dirty opportunities mm -hmm. as you read through the voice of customer responses, I would start by first looking for expressions or sentences or words even that are the opposite of marketing speak. Now, like a lot of startups feel like they need to make very big claims like welcome to the future of industry X mm. or pioneering solution for Y or leading solution for this particular kind of customers. But problem with those is that they're very generic and so they end up being, well, equivalent to fluff. Mm -hmm. And very often when you ask your customers, they will be able to give you more specific terms, more relatable terms, expressions that make sense to people like them, which is what you want especially if they they are your best customers. And the second approach is to look for emotional copy, things that they are excited about, things that they are raving about, the ways that they describe their life before your product. So that was terrible, and now you fixed it, and I no longer have to X, Y, Z. So anything like that, it, it can probably should go straight into your feature descriptions, whether it's outreach or your website copy. It it should go there and stay there. I really like that emotional copy because I think it's not many 
and obviously you, you can correct me if I'm wrong. Like, I don't think many companies actually take advantage of that. Like, if for example, okay, Katerina found this useful, this feature did this for me, etc. I I think it's very rare, and maybe it will happen definitely more at startups more versus like a more mature organization. Maybe they lost that. Maybe they had that five years or ten years when they started, but. Yeah, I can think of startups doing that more because they are in that journey of building their markets and maybe it is more that, that sense of, I want to appeal to customers, obviously uh, acquire more customers as well. But yeah, I really like that emotional copy, the way you describe that. Yeah. Yeah. I think that there, it depends on how startups approach growth strategy. Sometimes I feel like the cop is just there as a placeholder until they figure out their ideal audience and then it tends to be very generic. But sometimes startups are really dialing in their voice of customer research. And my favorite example of, well, 2021 really is the uh, enough of this sheet tagline. Like, I don't remember the, the name of the startup, but... This headline is definitely memorable enough for me to bring this up a lot. For sure. I'll try to Google it later myself and see if we can add it to the show notes. Um, and actually, as well, something that it comes to mind in maybe one of the many activities we get to do. And sometimes alongside product and alongside marketing, not just exclusive to customer success, will be surveys and trying to get that customer feedback, what would be the best practices that you will suggest for us in terms of length, open-ended questions? Any Are there any suggestions? Oh, so many, so many. First yeah. of all, if you do have an NPS, follow it up with an open-ended question so that your customers mm. can explain why they gave that particular rating. Because otherwise, you're just either guessing or assuming things about them, their behavior, and the reasons they gave it. And assumptions tend to be um, not very good as far as marketing goes. The second one is making sure that you segment survey respondents because it makes your own life easier. You don't have to deal with this huge cloud of responses and you can really narrow it down either based on use case scenario or on personas or whatever else makes sense for that particular survey. Now, in terms of length, you don't want to send out a survey that's 20 plus questions and half of them open-ended because uh, I'm not sure that anyone will make it to the end. So you need to be very, very strategic about the questions and make sure that you really need each of those questions to achieve your survey goals. So that's kind of the bigger piece not sending surveys just for the sake of sending them out and being really focused on one specific objective for a survey, ideal case scenario. Because again, you don't want them to be too long. And then another one that I sometimes see, especially in early stage, uh, early stage startup surveys, is asking leading questions where it's very clear what it is that you hope to hear back or limiting... Mm -hmm the options based on your assumptions about what your customers are going to say. So there are cases when you need to validate assumptions and that's when you 
limit the options for your respondents. But in most cases, you want to make sure that you're not giving away the ideal answer mm -hmm. you hope to hear <laughs> and that you leave the option to add their own response if none of the options that you have provided match their experience. And yeah. I think the last tip is uh, voice of customer is super important. And I would encourage everyone to have open-ended questions in their surveys and not just rely on rankings, NPS scores, and similar questions. But you need to have a plan to analyze the responses to the open-ended questions, because otherwise, if you're not using that data, it's useless. That's true. What you said initially about the goal of the survey and thinking on the data that is going to be used after gathering that data from the customers. I think those are really good points to consider when sending a, a survey. And I think nobody, as you said, likes to respond to a 20 to 30 question survey. Nobody is going to get actually to that, to the end of that survey. Yeah. And You know, in some cases, you can get away with it if you have jump links within the survey. Mm -hmm. So nobody gets to see all 30 questions, like crowding their browser window. But still, like, and again, another way to break up the flow is to have little status update pop up saying, hey, you're almost there. Just two questions left. <laughs> so that could help, but only to an extent. Like, you, you cannot expect people to do that much work. That's true. Yeah, now we have to put ourselves in, in their shoes, like if we will actually go through the same, <laughs> through the same process for sure. Yeah, yes, that's exactly. very true. And just uh, before I let you go, Ekaterina, one question that I ask all of my guests, what's in your toolbox? What mobile or web app you cannot live without? And it can be work-related or not work-related. <sighs> Oh, kind of hate to say that because <laughs> I mentioned the <laughs> impersonal emails earlier, but Zoom is really one of the most important things in my toolbox right now, both for personal meetings and for work meetings. I think it became part of a lot of people's toolbox since last year, working remotely for sure. Yeah, that's very true. So if folks will want to reach out, uh, what would be the best way for them to reach out to you? You can find me on LinkedIn or you can check out my website at ekaterinahoward.com. Okay, I'll for sure link that in the show notes. So thank you so much, Ekaterina. It was a pleasure to uh, chat to you today. Thank you for having me. Este foi editado por Aerolitos, edição inteligente. Música